Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning. Good morning. All right, someone sent me a good one this week. So a man comes home from church, walks into the door, sees his wife, looks at her lovingly, and lifts her off her feet, and she is totally taken back because her husband is not a romantic, and she is just awestruck. She looks at him and goes, did you learn that at church today? And the man goes, yes, the pastor taught us that we need to lift up our problems to the Lord. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. He did not run that by me before we got up here. So I might be having problems after this myself. We are, uh, as we come to the, to the conclusion of our Match Made in Heaven series, we asked this week through social media for you to send in your tough questions concerning singleness, dating, and marriage. And we got some tough ones, and so we're going to unpack as many of those as we can. I'd encourage you to write down the scripture references because we're going to really dive deep in the Bible, and you'll want to study these further on your own. So we're going to begin with singleness, but let me just encourage you, no matter what stage of life you're in, these are all significant for you because you are going to have relationships with people in each one of these stages. You're going to instruct kids. You're going to instruct different friends in this church. We're one big family, so I want to encourage you to lock in so that you can help raise up the family of God. So question number one is this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it's good to remain single, but better to marry than to burn with passion. How do I know if I'm called to remain single? Great question. Great question. A lot of people ask this question. How do I know if I'm called to remain single? So let me explain to you, but let's look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 first, and then let's dive in. Paul says this, I wish that all of you were as I am. So if you don't know who Paul is, he's the apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and he was not married. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Why don't you share to start off with? Okay, well, this is a funny story, but when we were dating, um, we were driving in the car, and Robert said, hey, let's just wait on the Lord for a second and just see if God wants to speak anything to us about our relationship or, you know, et cetera. So we wait on the Lord, and and I happen to have my Bible um, with me, and so God gave me that scripture reference. What is it exactly? First Corinthians 7, 9. Like, 7, 9. She I didn't also, even know yeah. that that's what it was. So he gives me 2 Corinthians 7, 9. So I take out my Bible and I read the scripture like to myself and I'm like, oh, and I like close the Bible and like put it down. And he's like, well, did you get a scripture from the Lord? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think <laughs> we're good. We're good. And he's like, well, don't you like can't get that and then not tell me. And so he pressed me and pressed me. So I, I told him. I was like, okay, this is what he gave me. He's like. I went like, well, excuse me. I'm like, you told me. I can tell you what he said. It was 
very awkward. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing to me here? <laughs> anyway, it was really funny. Funny story. We thought we'd share that with you. Um, so here, here is how we address this because people ask, well, should I remain single? I mean, it seems like Paul's saying to remain single. First of all, you need to understand in the context of the children of Israel, they would have been raised understanding the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So they knew that God said in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. Like that was the one thing that he said wasn't good in the garden before the fall. So they had this context that everyone should get married. So this was under this premise. So all of a sudden, Paul saying, hey, it's actually okay. It's actually good for man to remain alone, for a man to stay single if you have this gift. And so when the Holy Spirit came onto the earth and endowed people with gifts, one of the gifts we understand is this gift to remain single, this gift of celibacy, which he had. And so what we see as we look from Genesis to Revelation is that the vast majority of people are created to be in a marriage. They're created to be in a marriage relationship, and we can see that statistically. 80% of people will be married. But what Paul is doing is he's affirming, hey, you're not incomplete if you're a single person. See, a lot of times when we teach on marriage and we teach on family as we do in Christian churches, people can feel like, gosh, I guess if I'm not married, I'm not a whole person. I guess I, I, I can't ever fully be empowered in ministry. I, I, I guess I, I, there's something wrong with me. And can we just say that's not what we believe here? Like you don't have to wait until you're married to actually get about the Lord's work. And there's no glass ceiling for you if you're, you're not married. And we actually believe that some people, it's the very best for them to stay single. They've actually been given a gift. I was very impacted by a woman in my, that was a campus minister at Baylor University where I went, where she had that, that gift. And she was a very gracious, loving, attractive woman. But she had had the gift to remain single or celibate. And there were some advantages for her. She had so much time to invest in the students, and, and her focus was very narrowed. And that's what Paul says. He says there's this ability you have to focus on the Lord. Now, let me move on from there after I affirm that some people have that gift of being single because then we can read into it and say, you know what? So Paul's saying, but you should get married if you can't control your sexual desires, and so then what some of the church has done is they've started thinking, so I guess sexual desires are bad. And this is the scripture they get it from, is that he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, now the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. If you look at that in your Bible, what you see is there's quotation marks around that first verse. And so they had asked him the question, Paul, so is it best to not have sexual relations? And he's affirming, hey, if you've got this gift of singleness, sure. But he also, what we see from Genesis to Revelation is that sexual relations are a gift from God. It's, a, it's this precious gift that God has given us, but it is confined to the institution of marriage. We said last week, fire is a tremendous gift, but fire outside of the fireplace can cause a forest fire and destroy homes and, and lives, and that's what sex is like. But sex in the confines of marriage is a wonderful blessing to us. And so that's what we teach very clearly in this church. We're pro-marriage. We're pro 
you staying single if you feel like you have that gift. We're pro-sex in the confines of marriage. And so let's move on from there unless you have something else well, to yeah, say. Well, yeah, let me just add to on this, <laughs> not about the last topic, um, the remaining single topic. To the single ladies um, here this morning, I just want to say, hey, we're grieving with you. If you're saying, hey, I don't have that gift of celibacy. I want to get married. And, you know, you've hit 35 and over and you still long for that. We grieve with you and and we are believing with you that that will happen in your in your journey. Um, and, you know, I think just there, this, this person's asking, okay, how do I know, you know, that this is a calling or a gifting? I think you'd probably think about it a lot. You know, you, you probably r- would really desire to minister to the Lord more than serve a man or serve kids. And so I, I think it's something that you would start to recognize, wow, I'm having a lot of thoughts of wanting to really serve the Lord and and not serve a a family. I love the um, example of Anna in the Bible in Luke chapter 2. This woman, she wasn't called to be celibate. She actually had been married for seven or eight years, but then her husband passed away and she became a widow and she began to minister in the house of the Lord. And that's what she did until she was 84. And God blessed that. And so there's blessing when you minister to the Lord. Done. Next question. Here it is. Easy one. What do you guys think about online dating? What do you think about online dating? First of all, let me just give the the most recent research from the Pew Research Group for you to have a framework for this. First of all, online dating is becoming much more mainstream and much more accepted. Around 60% of adults now say that this is a great way to meet a significant other. A couple of other statistics, 1 in 10 American adults are using online dating platforms, and actually the age that has the highest percentage engaging in online dating is 18 to 24 year olds. So, but here is another interesting statistic just for you to understand. Only 5% of Americans who are married or in a committed relationship say that they met their significant other from an online dating forum. Only 5%. So the question was asked to us, what do we think about online dating? And so, of course, the first thing we do is go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about online dating? (laughs) And then you realize the Bible says nothing about online dating, so I realize I can say anything right now. (laughs) No, uh, when when you have a question, but it's not in the Bible, so then you ask, okay, God, give me an understanding of the different factors in, because this is still dating. What, What are you saying about this? Well, the first scripture that comes to mind is out of 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, or people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So what we'd encourage you is if you're engaging in online dating, don't just scroll through 100 profiles and look for the most attractive person. First of all, that might not be exactly how that person looks, but second of all, God is saying focus in on the heart. You want to have a godly relationship, you focus in on the insides. I'm not saying attraction is not good, but I am saying that that's not what we base our relationships on. Secondly, I love what Proverbs 16.32 says. It talks about being, it's better to be a patient person. And a lot of times I find that people go into online dating because they're tired of waiting for something to happen. 
Okay, and, and that brings me to my third point, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And so I, I would encourage you not to go to something just because you're feeling anxious. So, so what do we think about online dating? Well, interestingly, I've actually seen some great relationships start out of online dating. So we're not anti-online dating. Let me just give you some, some maybe fuel for, for thought or maybe some really healthy parameters to walk within. Number one, be wise about the site that you choose. Uh, let me say it this way. Why, why would I even tell people, hey, it's okay? Because some people in here, you're like, what? I cannot believe those darn computers. They're ruining our world, you know? In the old days, how did people meet each other? They, they met each other out in community, uh, at, at, you know, at, at the barn raising, or they met each other at work, right? We, we saw where did, last week, we looked at the story of Ruth. Where did Boaz and Ruth meet? They met out in the field, picking the wheat harvest. Now, let me just ask you, how many people are going to be working out in the field tomorrow morning? Okay, well, I don't see one person, so you're all doomed, right? No. So where do we work now? The vast majority of people work behind a computer. And they're working online. And so this is their work environment. So meeting a, a, a person online, it, there's, it's not a uh, just black and white evil. But let's be wise how we do it. You know, there's some forums that are, are Christian and pure. And those are the ones I'd recommend you going into. And some are just plain raunchy. Stay away from those. Right? Secondly, when you're looking at someone's profile, I encourage you, look to see if they boldly proclaim Christ. If they can't boldly proclaim Christ in front of a bunch of strangers, they're probably not living for Jesus in front of the people that know them. So look for people who are boldly proclaiming Christ. The third thing, and it's actually something I like about some of the more sophisticated online dating uh, 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 forums, is that they study uh, compatibility. The greatest marriages come out of people that share core values, similar life vision. They share faith. They, they share the same kind of lifestyle choices. And, and those actually, those sites that actually match compatibility give people a better chance. As we counsel people that are dating and in relationships, we find that when people have those similar values, those, those similar desires, those kind of compatibility characteristics, that's when you're set up for great relationships. So look for those as well. But here's what we'd say. No matter how you start a relationship, you can't live your relationship online. So you got to pull the person into your real life. So you might meet someone online, but they immediately need to be pulled into your community. So you can see how they interact with others. I encourage you to get to know their family. Get to know them in all kinds of situations so that you can know what their real life is like. Anything else you want to add? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we should have a barn raising party. That actually sounds really fun. So, um, But I, I will say, you know, just to continue what he's saying, um, yeah, you've got to understand what they're like in real time, right? So a lot of times, I, if it's my understanding that on the online thing is a lot of times they're in a different city. So 
at some point, you're going to need to be in the same city together, um, understanding how, how you live life. And so it's, you've got to be around each other more than just 24 or 48 hours because anyone can put on a good face for 48 hours. And so you really want to find out, hey, are they, do they have friends? Are they investing their life in a church, in other people? Are they discipling people? Are they faithful to go to a life group or a small group? Um, so, you know, it's, it's just so important that you know the ins and outs, how they are around kids, how they are around their parents. So, Next question. What do you think about online marriage? Uh, just kidding. All right. Uh, <laughs> next question. Should, can I start a relationship with a non-Christian person? Should slash can. So can, well, you can do whatever you want to do, right? Um, but if you're asking our biblical advice, we would say, uh, capital no, that you should not start dating a non-Christian if you are a Christian. Um, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 14. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Oh, it's the hard truth, right? So you don't want to partner light with darkness. And that's really what you're doing when you um, start a relationship with someone who is not a believer, who does not say that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. And so um, we would say, don't do it. And I think a lot of the time it's hard for, for people to hear that, um, that no, like, hey, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's biblical. Don't partner with darkness, and there, people want to justify, well, this, that, and the other, and we would say no. Um, you know, the other, the other piece is as you go in, in your relationship, you can't expect that person to obey Jesus because they don't know Jesus, right? So why would they want to obey Jesus if they don't know him? So you've got to have the right expectations if that is what you're choosing. So... You know, a lot of times we, we've seen this happen, and you might go, well, but it worked for my parents. You know, my dad was a, a Christian, my mom was an unbeliever, but they got together, and then she came to the Lord. And what I'd say is this, that God is merciful. He, he is kind. He's gracious. But I don't want to settle for God's mercy. I want God's best. And so let me just continue on with this scripture because I think it sheds more light on it. In verse 15, it says, What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another name for the evil one? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of gods and idols? For we are the temple of God, and as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I have a teenage daughter. She was sitting on the front row in the last service. As a father, what do I want for Hallie? I want the very best. I want to protect her from anything that can harm her, and I want to set her up for success. I want her to have the most amazing relationship possible. Now, you've got to understand there's only two types of people in the world. There are believers, and when you've given your life to Christ, it means the Holy Spirit has come and lived inside of you, the Spirit of God that enables us to live lives of purity, wholeness, and unconditional love. 
If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, the Bible says that you're spiritually dead. And that where this person that is spiritually alive is a child of God, this person, the Scripture says, is a child of the evil one. Now, what would I want to give as a father to my daughter for her to have a relationship? I would want to give her the very best. I want to give her a child of God. So here's what we can, we can misunderstand. Sometimes church and, and, and many people in our church are brand new to, to Jesus. And you might have come in and you just gave your life to Jesus. And you're like, but my girlfriend it has not or my, my boyfriend has not or my spouse has not. And, and, and so it's pretty confusing. Let, let me just tell you this. God is not trying to hurt you. God is not trying to hold back from you. He's not trying to end your fun. God wants to give you what's very best. So if you're asking us what's very best, run after Jesus with all your heart. Fix your eyes on him and then look to your left, and, and look to your left, look to your right, and see who's running at the same pace. And that's the person you want to date. Because that person is going to help you live out your God-given call. And that's how you're going to be blessed and most prosperous in a relationship. All right, next question. It's a great one. What are healthy and biblical boundaries in regards to physical touching and time spent together when in a dating relationship? Boundaries in dating relationships. This is a big one, and I, I love this question. Whenever people give this question, I know, okay, gosh, they're wanting to live according to the Bible. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this in regards to the physical touching. Flee from sexual immorality. And, and if you look at that, I'm going to unpack that in a minute. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So why is that important? Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? So you're actually taking the Holy Spirit and taking it into sexual sin. Whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So let me just start with this. Let me start with grace. Jesus died on the cross to forgive all of our sins. And I'm so thankful for that. Because I have blown it in this area in my past. So I, I, I share this with you as a person who's received the grace of God and then God empowered to live in a pure life. Some of you think, man, th this is just too hard. Like, are, are you kidding me? We're, we're now living in a whole different era and everyone's just in sexual sin. Can I tell you that's actually not true? Like, I lived in sexual sin in my early days, and then when I decided to run after Jesus with all my heart, I just cried out, God, you got to help me because I'm so weak in this area. And by God's grace, he gave me total, total strength and power to live in complete purity in my relationship with Stephanie and for us not to mess around sexually. So you can do this, even if you've fallen in the past. He washes you white as snow, and he'll fill you with the Spirit to empower you. So, so what do, sexual immorality is not just having intercourse. Sexual immorality is sexual acts outside of marriage. So what we strongly believe and teach as a church is that you should not, just like we read last week, you should not lay your hand on someone. 
You're not touching their private areas. You're not doing sexual activities outside of marriage. God will bless you. And what we saw from last week's statistics is the people that have the best sex in marriage are ones that didn't sleep together before marriage. And I can attest to that. All right. Um, let's go on, though. What about, what, what about time spent together in a dating relationship? I want to put up to you our template that we teach as we give people healthy understanding of how to progress in a dating relationship. We call this the dating gauges. Now, oftentimes, someone, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and they just fall head over heels, and all of a sudden, they're staying up all night talking about everything in life, naming their first kids. This is their first date, right? They're mugging down, right? And then all of a sudden, they diss all their friends. They spend all their time together, and then the next week, they break up. And everyone's heartbroken, and they've dishonored the Lord in the process. In a car, we have gauges on our dashboard so that we don't blow up the engine, you can get mad at the, the gauges. You can bash in the gauges. But that's not the point. The point is to live a healthy, to drive your car in a healthy manner. What we believe is that your time, talk, and touch should be in direct proportion to where you are in your commitment. So as you start as friends, move to dating, move to boyfriend, girlfriend, move to engagement, and move to marriage, all those time, talk, and touch go up as you move through them. Steph, what do you want to speak to that? Yeah, to the women, I would just say, hey, you have a voice in the journey. So I so appreciated Robert's leadership. I wanted his leadership in our relationship, and he was doing a great job. He would very, very clearly line out, hey, we're just dating right now. We're going to see each other this amount of time um, every week. And, and it, he would explain, hey, we're going to go on a date, etc." Well, two weeks into that, we were in the car again. We spent a lot of time in the car. Um, he said something, something, honey. And I was like, honey? I'm like, you just called me honey? I'm like, we've been dating two weeks. So I waited a second. And I said, hey, <laughs> uh, maybe you shouldn't call me honey because that makes me feel like we're three steps beyond where we're at. And he was great. He was like, totally understand, and we moved on. So no big deal. But I think sometimes, um, women, you forget that you have a voice in the journey, and so you need to make sure that you're okay with the stages, right? I think on the time spent together as well, um, you know, if you jump right into tons of time together, you really um, hurt relationships. Hurt, you hurt your girlfriend relationships or your guy uh, guys, your, your guy friendships. Um, and so I think there's a healthy progression of time spent together. That way you can keep your other relationships. And I know this can be very hurtful for, for people. And so it's a big deal. So it's important that you, you spend time progressively. And obviously at some point there is going to be more time together. Um, but that's awesome. It. All right. Next question. This question was in regards to engagement. When is a good time to propose? And what? <laughs> right. Go ahead. No, I'm just 
<laughs> we did. Remember in the first like three years of the church, uh, a, guy, a, a guy got saved in our church, gets up in the middle of the church. We had talked about it and proposed it was the sweetest thing. So, yeah. What are indicators that point towards the time? It did mess up my sermon, though. Um, what are indicators that point towards that time? If you've been with us uh, for uh, a couple of years, you've probably seen me allude to how we see biblical decisions being made. What, what were the templates that Jesus gave for making decisions? Because sometimes as Christians, we get super mystical, you know, and it's just all about, do I feel it? Or did an angel show up and tell me something, which is awesome if it does. But also, on the flip side, we can be completely analytical and, and, and take the, the spirit out of it. So what I want to point to is the, the four different types of, of indicators that Jesus gave for godly decisions. So this is what we call the decision-making compass. So due north is always the word of God. It never changes. So how do you know when to propose? Well, first of all, look at your relationship and see, does it line up with the word of God? Does this person have the qualities that God says are in a godly man or in a godly woman? Due south, the voice of God. So this is where you you seek time where you're praying and then you're waiting quietly and saying, God, is this the person? And when is the time? And are we ready? And we encourage people to do a 30-day journal. So it's not just one day, yeah, I think so, and one day, no, no, no way. But you can see over a 30 days of what do I feel like the Spirit's intuitively speaking to me. On the far right, community and counsel. The Bible says that plans fail for lack of counsel. God has put you in a community. If you're in this room, you have a bunch of wise people around you. And so we encourage you to go to friends that are seeking the Lord and ask their opinion. So many times people make big mistakes in marriage because they didn't ask their friends what they thought about it, their godly friends. Ask your leaders, ask your life group leader, ask the pastor that you know what they think. I encourage young people, ask your parents. And you might say, well, my parents aren't, aren't even believers. I, I found actually that sometimes unbelieving parents have good wisdom because they know their kid and they're seeing the type of person they're dating. So go and seek counsel. Lastly, counting the cost. Jesus said, no, no king goes into battle without first assessing the size of his army. He said, no man builds a tower without counting the cost. So you need to actually look at the situation. You, you want to study and, and go, okay, are we ready for this? And you look at the person, right? If, they, if they're coming from tremendous financial, financial bondage, I'm not saying don't marry them, but know that you're bringing that into your marriage, Someone's dealing with a mental illness. Know that you're going to have to deal with that in marriage. I'm not saying don't marry them. 45% of Americans deal with mental illness at some point. But know what you're getting into before you propose. All right. Can I share a few? You, of course you can share a few. Um, thank you. So a few, I think a few good indicators would be um, if you don't want to live without that person, marry him. I can't live <laughs> if you can picture yourself, you. if you could picture yourself at 80, and you'd be sad if they're not next to you swinging on your little porch swing, then marry them. Oh, <laughs> sweet. We used to swing on our little porch swing, but we don't have that anymore. Um, if if they're the most refreshing person to you, 
Miriam. Uh, if it's good to go through conflict together, so you want to make sure that you've gone through conflict together. It's huge. Oh, when people say, like, we never have conflict. We've They're never like, had a fight. Wow. They're like, you're in trouble. Big trouble. Because <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> um, yep, it's inevitable. So, <laughs> like, what are you lying then? <laughs> <laughs> you want to see how they go through it. Are they willing to own up to their stuff and repent and be humble? So, and last thing, just do you realize, hey, we have the same goals in life because that's huge. Right. All right, we are moving on to marriage. Moving on to marriage. This is a very easy question. Do you believe that the traditional patriarchal household roles are the biblical mandate for every marriage, or are there other marital dynamics that are honoring and healthy? This is from one of our junior hires. Um, <laughs> We believe in the biblical roles. Uh, that is what we promote in this church. We don't promote traditional patriarchal roles. We promote the biblical roles of marriage. So let me just address that. Um, so what are some of the traditional patriarchal roles of marriage? Well, traditional patriarchal role says the husband has the higher value and the woman is the support. Well, is that what the scripture says? Now, the Bible, what we know it says in Genesis chapter 1, is that God made male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. We believe, according to Scripture, that man and woman are equal before God. They're equal, but they're opposite. That's what we believe Scripture speaks of. A traditional patriarchal role says that man is the only one that works and woman is the one that raises the children. Well, as we look at the Bible, Proverbs 31, we see that the Proverbs 31 woman, who is the ultimate picture of a, a woman in Scripture, she's actually doing something with her hands and bringing in a, a prophet into the home. And as we look at Scripture, we see that God is charging men to raise their children as unto the Lord and not to exasperate their children. So we believe in biblical roles, not in traditional roles. Uh, patriarchal roles. But here's what we see in Scripture, Ephesians 5, 23, in the message. Look at this. It says this, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Let's, let's look at Ephesians 5, 23 in the NIV. It says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. We believe that the Bible is true. So we believe that men are called to be the leader of the home. They're called to, to lead out in the home. And what we find is that women love that when he does that, as the Bible says, like Christ does. And so how did Christ lead the church? He did it by getting on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. He did it by not usurping and domineering them, but always choosing the role of a servant, even laying down his life unto death. And so what I find is that women actually want their husband to lead. They just want him to lead in a very loving, nurturing, servant-hearted manner. Right? And, and, and actually what we see in the book of Genesis, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that the the fall of man is what brought man to, to be apathetic 
And, and so he needs to be called forth to lead. And the fall of man is what called woman to, uh, to manipulate and to try to coerce men. And, and what God is encouraging women to do is to honor. And that in those type of formats, then men and women can both be fully empowered to live out their God-given destiny. And it makes for an amazing marriage. What do you want to say about that? Amen. I missed that question. I didn't know that one came in. Oh, okay. <laughs> to be honest. So, so let me say it this way. So, so this is confusing. So what about a woman with a, a tremendous leadership gift? We say, lead. Let's go for it. So in, in my homes, you saw last week my father and mother on the front row. My mother has more of the Romans 12 gift of leadership. She's the one who communicates. She speaks at different things. She's on the board of different ministries. My father has more of a servant gift. And so that's a, an example of a very strong leader woman with a, a man who's very strong, but he's a servant. But in the home, my mother wants my father to lead as the man in the scripture does, but he does so by laying down his life for her. And in that way, she can be all that she's called to be, and he can be all that he's called to be. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's the next question. This is a great one. What are healthy emotional boundaries in a relationship before or after marriage? This is a great question, and we're actually going to be doing a series, hopefully, in the spring on boundaries and margins, how to live out healthy margins and boundaries in every aspect of life to prosper under the Lord. So we'll get to that in January. Come back. All right, here's the next one. It's just like a TV show, right? You're like, oh, this is going to be, oh, no, I have to watch next week. Okay, All wait, right. so maybe I could just say one thing on that. because Oh, I, but I don't could, spoil it. Oh. I want them to come back in January. Right. No, go no, ahead. But I'm not going to be go doing ahead. it with you. You're not going to okay. be here? No, I'm going to be here, oh, but I'm, I'm going to be there. Um, so, okay, just one thought on that. I will say this. Jesus is your chief shepherd. Amen. So your husband, your wife, your dater, your whatever, should never be your chief shepherd. Amen. So if they have become your chief shepherd, chief, that's hard to say, chief shepherd, then there's a problem. You are sharing too much. You are giving too much flesh and too much. Cool. Thanks for the clap. Thanks for the clap. Next question. What should you do in a marriage when a couple is in a different place spiritually? says specifically when a wife is running faster towards Jesus than her husband. And, and let me couple this with another one. How do I continue to be kind to my unbelieving spouse was a, a, another question uh, that people ask. So first of all, let us just say uh, our hearts are with you in this journey. And uh, our hearts go out to you in these situations. And for the years of leading this church, we've always had people in, in these scenarios. And so we want to be a family that comes alongside of you. We want to, to, to pray for you. We want to nurture you. And we want to help you. And here is what Scripture says. The first thing that Scripture says is stay in the relationship. Stay in the relationship. Be committed to that person. Now, of course, there are some extreme examples where there's horrible abuse or there's, there's crazy adultery that, that God makes a portions to, to move out of that destructive place. But for the most part, God is saying, stay here and let me win over that person's heart. So how do we see this working? What doesn't work 
is you always preaching at them. I've never seen that change anyone. No one likes to be preached at. The second thing that doesn't work is you judging them, right? You can never judge someone into the kingdom, right? So what do we want to encourage? I want to encourage you with several things. First, the, the time you spend fretting about it, the time you spend wanting to preach at, at them, spend praying for them. Be the intercessor. Be the one who partners with the Lord. And, and, and pray. First of all, pray for yourself. Pray that you'd have a broken heart for them, not a frustrated heart with them. Pray that you could see them how God sees them and call them into the kingdom. Secondly, encourage them, right? Call out the gold. Call out the things you see in them. Instead of cutting them down, what happens a lot of times is, is we, we cut down our spouse hoping that that'll change them. I'll tell you what changes a spouse is when they're called out and when they're encouraged and when you say, I see this in you, I love it when you do this. When you hear, when my wife says, I love it when you do this, I just want to do it more. Right? Steph, what do you want to speak to this? So if I said, I love when you take me shopping. I'd say, I would say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought. Um, okay. I'm, like, Hold on. I'm just kidding. I totally do it every once in a while. <laughs> Um, okay, so Romans eight twenty eight. it says, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I would say to the wives today that are asking that question, I would say, hey, you need to believe that God is at work. Even if Amen. you're not seeing what you're wanting to see yet, you need to keep believing that God is at work within you and within him. And I would say, obviously, keep letting God transform places in you. And I think you need to be real with um, not just say, hey, I am letting God do, but, but really evaluate, hey, what are the things that he is saying that are hard for him about me? And have I really made an effort to let Jesus transform those things in me and take a real true evaluation of where, um, how much you've been transformed by Jesus over the last couple of years? Um, because that really will draw him, when he sees your authentic transformation, then that's going to draw him more into yes. a place of wanting to walk with Jesus um, and experience that. Um, the other thing I would say is, hey, stay faithful to be in to the church events. Come to church. Come to life group. Even if your spouse is not wanting to, I would really encourage you um, to come to those things, especially if you have kids, because it really sets an example um, for them. And so I think it's really important to stay knit to the body of believers um, during that, those hard seasons of wanting your spouse to run harder and maybe they don't want to be at church or be at the small groups. Um, the last thing I would say is um, every morning when you wake up, actually I did this this morning because I didn't get much sleep last night, but every morning when you wake up, you have new brain cells, okay? And that is good news for all of us, okay? So I was really thankful for my new brain cells because I thought, do I still get them if I didn't sleep very much? But we do. I'm claiming it. So I would say if you are a wife that wants your husband to run harder, when you wake up with your new little brain cells that you have, speak hope to those brain cells that you can get to the next place in your marriage. So just speak hope in those. You have more brain space to speak hope to Amen. your marriage today. Amen. All right. Two more questions. We'll cover them quickly. 
moving on, greatest advice. What's your greatest advice when a couple starts having children? So let me say this is our greatest advice. Uh, never stop working on your marriage. Never stop working on your marriage. We talked about it a couple weeks ago that the, the normal phases of a marriage is satisfaction is the highest in the first several years. And the reason is because you're looking at each other and you're focusing so much on your marriage. But satisfaction continues to go down in the normal marriage as you have kids and then those kids get older and those kids get to the teen years and eventually you start seeing all these couples splitting up. So what we would say is prioritize your marriage. Now I'm not saying don't lay your life down for your kids. Don't focus on them. Of course I'm saying that. But I want to tell you that the greatest gift that you can give to your kids after a strong faith in Jesus is a great loving marriage. I can't tell you how, how much confidence and security I felt in life because I knew that my mom and dad loved each other, that they were never going to leave each other, and that they were great partners. It created this security around me. And you might not be able to say that you had that, but you can create it. You can create it by never stopping working on your marriage. Once, one of the best ways to do that is by continuing to put yourself in a community with other great marriages. Right, So you find friends and community of people who have great marriages, and guess what? You become more and more like them. Uh, secondly, I, I'd encourage you to study marriage. Once a year, I'll read a book on marriage. We have a wonderful marriage, but I always want to take it to the next level. So I encourage you, when there's a marriage seminar, we do one a year, be at it. Read a marriage book and talk about it, and you take your marriage up to the next level. Anything you want to say on well, that? Well, I think it's good to make sure you have a date night where you're doing things that you love to do together. So it's really important. Awesome. Thank you, Clapper. <laughs> All right. Okay, so here is the last one. And, and let me just say, say this with kids. Uh, you, I think you hear it from us all the time. We are so into community. People worry about their kids going in with the wrong crowd. You create the crowd. You get in community with the right people, and your kids' crowd will be created for them from an early age. So let's put ourselves in people, and I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here, but commit to having your children in church. Commit to having your children in life groups. Commit to having your kids around other godly families, and it reinforces your values. Okay, last question. I loved this question and it's this, can I kiss my wife in church? I and, do not um, know who asked the, that. The answer, <laughs> the, the answer is please. I would love if we became known as the wife kissing church. I've been trying to kiss her in church for the last 17 years. Sorry. It's never happened. You have to come back for year 25. Or, did so, I just commit to that? So, so uh, I, I've got the promise. So. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? We love you. We believe as we build our relationships on the foundation of Scripture, under the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is going to wash away our past, give us hope for a future, and that this church is going to be full 
of godly relationships. Prayer team, come on forward. Would you just pray with me right now? Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. God, I thank you so much that your mercies are new every morning because my past did not look good, but Lord, you have blessed me as we sought to to follow you with our hearts and build our relationship on the godly foundation of your scripture and just live in humility saying, God, we desperately need you every day. You've truly poured out on us. And Lord, I'm praying that over every single person in this room. I'm praying, God, that you would give them the desires of their heart. Lord, I am praying for every dating couple in this room that you would protect them, that they would have a passion to honor you over and above anything else. And Lord, that you keep them safe and pure. God, that you guard them from sexual temptation. And Lord, that you let their dating relationship glorify you. God, I pray for every married couple in this room right now. God, we pray grace upon grace for so many marriages, the hardest aspect of their life. God, I pray that they'd find you in the middle of it. God, that they'd have grace to forgive and that you'd speak fresh hope in them. And Lord, I pray for the ones that are divorced in this room. God, I pray that they would find your comfort. God, that they would find your joy, that they would live out their destiny. God, that they would be filled with hope and life and that you would lead them in paths everlasting. And Lord, I pray for the the widows and the widowers, Lord. I pray that you would meet them in this place, Father. And I pray, God, that you would be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Lord, I just continue to ask as a pastor that there would be so many amazing marriages that happen in and through this church, Lord, that we would bring you glory by the way we do relationships and we would bring you glory by the way we teach our children about relationships well. In Jesus' name.